Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. according to St. Luke in the first chapter. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be so, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. It's hard to believe that we are already at the final Sunday in Advent. The season of preparation, the season of looking forward to the coming Messiah to be born amongst man. Next week we begin the birth of Christ and his story and we will talk about uh, the miracles and all of that to come with this child born in Bethlehem. So I didn't, I couldn't quite think of a really great way to 
finalize this little series that we've done, except to actually go to the Gospel of Luke and look at this text to Mary. So we've spent the last handful of weeks talking about Jesus and whether he was just a good teacher or was he something more. And we saw this through the eyes of John the Baptist, how John had come to pave the way. And even when John had his doubts and he sent his disciples to Jesus, Jesus preaches to the disciples of John so that way John could be reminded of who Jesus was. So was Jesus merely a good teacher or was he something more? And I think the text in Luke really tells us exactly who Jesus is. He is the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. This is the child who has been foretold through the prophets through centuries of the history of Israel. He has come to us in the flesh, finally a Messiah to save man from their sins. And so I couldn't find any better way or any fitting way to conclude this than to actually look at this text than through the eyes of Mary. See, in the Protestant church, Mary is often not talked about too much outside of Christmas, maybe, because it might feel like it's a little too Catholic-y, or we we don't want to put Mary up on this pedestal. But we truly need to unpack the text to see how important and vital Mary's role in this whole story is. And so before we begin the sermon, I throw a couple interesting facts about Mary out here. And this is interesting as we will kind of pair this to how Joseph comes along. We know who Joseph is. He's from the the lineage of David, so the lineage of the king. Mary, on the other hand, has descendants from the line of Levi, This would be the tribe of the priests. So not only do we have Joseph, whose lineage is of the king of Israel, where Jesus will be the fulfillment, the king of kings, but he also now has lineage from the tribe of Levi to be the priest. Mary is favored by God, as we have indicated in the text in Luke. And then Mary, when she goes to meet Elizabeth, is blessed by Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1, just the next section, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth calls out. She says, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. This is also later a text from a woman who yells out to Jesus, blessing Mary. So Mary's essentially blessed twice, once by Elizabeth and once later in the Gospel of Luke. She's praised by the angel Gabriel for her faith. And interestingly enough, if we want to unpack the Levitical law, we find that she is obedient to the command that when a firstborn is a male, they are to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. When they are unable to afford certain animals, they are allowed to offer two turtle doves, which is what Mary does. To follow the Levitical law, she is obedient. She's obedient to the angel Gabriel as he informs her what is going to happen. And interestingly enough, if we go to Luke chapter 2, which we've talked about in our Bible study, we see how Mary and Joseph are obedient year after year going into Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. Whereas if you catch the little short 
section in Luke chapter 2, we have that little adolescent period of Jesus' life where he's left in Jerusalem for a number of days, and he's found in the temple teaching. It's always interesting to look at the scripture in the few first chapters of the Gospels and get this account of Mary, because I find oftentimes we just don't we just don't pay enough tribute to her, but we don't also understand kind of the scope and the reality of what she faces. In fact, we find if we read on in Luke that when she goes to offer Jesus for his circumcision on the eighth day and is attributed to the temple, she is informed by the priest that this child will do certain things to her, will pierce her heart. She will have to be a witness to his death. Mary is present at the foot of the cross as Jesus is crucified. But she doesn't quite understand all that until that very moment. So Mary carries this unknown burden throughout her life. Because what we will get is when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he turns to John the apostle, the only apostle to remain back, and he tells John, this is now your mother. So Mary will now live her life, as we would assume Joseph has has passed away at some period in time here. Now her son has been crucified in front of all of these people. So now, on this day, as we will venture into in a few months on Good Good Friday, we have his death and all of that uncertainty through the weekend, only for Jesus to be risen from the grave on the third day. But I do think it is important for us as Protestants, more importantly as us as Lutherans, when we come to a particular person like Mary in the Gospel accounts, it is right for us to recognize her in the proper manner. Mary is indeed, just like the rest of us, she is a sinner in need of a Savior. But she is indeed more than that as well. She is the mother of Christ. So no matter how you plan your uh, Christology out, if Christ is in fact the God that we claim he is, if Christ is the Son of God, then that would mean Mary is the mother of Christ in the flesh, God in the flesh. Sometimes it might be a little hard to think that Mary would be the mother of God Because we want to try and separate God into this own little bubble and say that he can't possibly have anything before him, which is true. Because if we start to get into something before God, we will obviously jump into a whole bunch of heresy. But if we understand the triune Godhead in its individual roles, and we understand who Christ is, the second person in the triune Godhead, that he was the word, as John 1 indicates, that was there at the beginning of time, before Mary, obviously centuries before Mary, everlasting to everlasting. Christ fulfills all of these roles that the prophet Isaiah gives him. But it is unique because he had to be born amongst man. And he had to do so through the womb of a virgin. So that way, sin is not in his system. So Mary does play an intricate role, being that virgin to carry Christ to full term. So however you want to 
dice it up, if you want to claim that she's the son of Christ, the son of the God in the flesh, she fulfills those roles. She is indeed favored, as the angel says to her. And really, in my view, would be considered one of the most primary characters in the New Testament, even though she doesn't constantly appear. In fact, we don't really get a whole lot of her even after the gospel accounts. We don't hear much about her in Acts or the general epistles or the Pauline epistles. Just a few little blimps here and there. But yet, she is the one who carried Christ. She is the one who raised him. She is the one who was there at every moment of his life. So to quickly revisit some of these interesting facts, I want to provide a little bit more context around them. If we take the first one being from the tribe of Levi, we should also recognize that it's not explicitly told to us in the text. But if we know who Mary's relatives are, Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, then we could start to kind of piece this together a little bit. And I think it is important for us to recognize that that connection, that lineage. Elizabeth and Zechariah are Mary's cousins, and Zechariah was a priest from the tribe of Levi, which would give us some connecting pieces to this puzzle. But I think what it is, is it shows us that through all of these various lineages, all the lovely genealogies that I know you guys love to read through when you get to them in the Bible, if we trace all of those through, we see this beautiful story unfolding that connects Christ into all of it, being the ultimate fulfillment to Israel. Everything is summed up into Christ. And I think it is fascinating for us to see how, if Mary is in fact from the tribe of Levi, that she would then be from the tribe of the priests, which would then give Christ that title as priest. And he will, in fact, go on to preach the law, as all of the priests do. He will go on to purify the unclean. He cleanses the temple. He forgives sin. And he prays for his disciples. All of the functions of what a priest does. Luke provides us a little bit of commentary between Gabriel and Mary. As Gabriel addresses in verse 28, he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary then is, both, is blessed both by Elizabeth and commended for her faith. So we can see how Mary is in fact treasured by the early church. If you go and read through any of those wonderful church fathers, you will find Mary is quite an elevated individual. And it's, it's in my view, it would be, Mary, it would be uh, Jesus at the very top, and then just under would be Mary because she was the one who birthed Christ. And so the early church had a very unique understanding of her. And I find as we get into more of the modern church, we see the, the, the line kind of shifting from her, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it loses sight of the, of the important role that she plays. Because if we ever get to a text like this, in fact, the, the lectionary text for the today would have been Matthew 1, the... the conversation of the angel and Joseph, which we will visit Christmas Eve night. So I got a couple interesting things for you then, so make sure you're here at 5 o'clock so you get a good front row seat. I expect all the Lutherans to be in these front three pews, just to, just to make sure you know they're going to be reserved just for you. So. 
But if we would follow that, we would have missed out on this beautiful text of, of Gabriel coming to Mary and telling her just what is going to happen. That you will conceive this child. One to be born. One to live. And one who will die. So Mary is indeed favored. And I think if we hold her in the right view, we can obviously have a good amount of respect for her. She is, in fact, the one who carried Christ. She's the one that nurtured him, cared for him. She played a very intricate role in the early life of Christ. And interestingly enough, I find this just fascinating. We don't know when Joseph passes, but he's never mentioned much later after Luke chapter 2. We just just doesn't hear much about him. But yet Mary still kind of peeks in there every once in a while. But the story in Luke 1 isn't completely about Mary. It simply lays out her part, her role in this story. In fact, this story that we read every Christmas season is far more intricate and important and detailed than just this simple conversation between Gabriel and Mary. Gabriel goes on to tell Mary these important factors of who this son is to be. He says, you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, if you remember last year and into the early part of this year, we walked through Genesis and we spent an intricate amount of time looking at the patriarchs and their roles in the establishment of what would become Israel. We see Jacob playing a very intricate role in all of that. And I always find it interesting that Gabriel doesn't point out Abraham in this text. He goes to Jacob and says that he will reign over the house of Jacob, which is, would be over the house of Israel, the church, his people, those who believe in Christ as the Messiah. All of these staples that Gabriel is giving Mary is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning the birth and the life of Jesus. And as we come to this text every year, one thing that might be interesting to us is it doesn't change. If you've been coming to church long enough over the course of your life, the story of the birth of Christ doesn't change. We don't have a, a new text next year that's going to shed new light on his birth. In fact, we only have two Gospels that deal with it, Matthew and Luke. And so one year we look at Matthew, the next year we look at Luke and vice versa. We could maybe sneak John in there and deal with the first chapter and look at the prologue, but that doesn't quite give us the scene that we've all become quite familiar with. So whether we look at Joseph or Mary or we spend some time looking at the shepherds and the wise men, the story doesn't change. It's the same every year. But yet, this story is, is so important to us. Because it doesn't center around those individuals. They're just, they just play a role in what is happening. It centers around this baby. This, this brand new baby. Born. 
at an insignificant time in a small town off the radar, in a barn, more or less, this child, this one promised centuries before to Eve, and that promise never left her offspring, this child born to us. I always think it's fun to kind of dig into that context of Bethlehem. So they have to go back because there's a census that has been sent out, and so Joseph has to go back to his hometown, which is Bethlehem, and so he takes Mary, who is just about ready to give birth, and they travel this journey back to Bethlehem. They find out that there's no room because everybody is there for the census reading, and so now they have to stay in what would be considered like a barn or a shelter that the animals would be housed in. Some some. Theologians have indicated it could have been a cave, but it was generally a three-walled structure that the animals would be kept in. And so I would venture to say it wasn't very clean. You know, nowadays when you go to a hospital, Isaiah is only 15 months old, so his, uh, the birth is still fresh in my mind. I, I had to get into a bunny suit. I had to have a hat and, and, and all that gear on, rubber gloves, boots on my shoes, a face mask, and all that, to, to even just be in the room as he was being born. Imagine giving birth in a barn. Not quite the most sanitary thing to do. But yet this is exactly how God interrupts the life of man. In the most insignificant time, in the most insignificant manner, In one of the most random places, Christ is born to us. So there's so much more to this birth and this scene to which we will unpack on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But today, as we begin our sermon, I want to focus primarily on the purpose of Christ. Gabriel tells Mary that his name will be Jesus. In Matthew 1, if we turn over there, we will see exactly why Gabriel visits Joseph and he tells him what his name will be. And he says that he will be called this, he will be called Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The very personal name of the Messiah shows us entirely his purpose, to save his people, forgiving the sins of them. And I say it every week, every single sermon, that Christ came to forgive us. Do we actually take that into consideration of what it could actually mean? Do we, do we try to reconcile that with, what does it mean that Christ forgives me? If we define sin as this cosmic treason against God, the reality is we've rebelled against our Creator. There's just no other way to paint this. Sin is not a pretty thing to deal with. So it doesn't matter whether we dabble in a little bit of innocent, self-centered sin or something that's on a bigger scale. Sin is a cosmic treason against our God. It is one that we have caused this great chasm that separates us from God. God knew this in the Old Testament. And so after he guides Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt, he establishes this intricate system for sacrificing of animals. 
And interesting, these sacrifices would, would be the atonement for certain sins, but it was never designed to be the ultimate atonement. Each sacrifice would only atone for one sin. And this system of sacrifices carried on for centuries. All the while, God continued to work out his promise he made to Adam and Eve. The promise he made to the patriarchs and through the judges and the kings and all of the prophets. In fact, this promise took some 4,000 years to come to fruition after Adam and Eve. And here we are, some 2,000 years later after the birth of Christ, nestled in God's timeline. And so he breaks into our world every year with the birth of his son, shattering our paradigm, allowing us to be real visual people of what has truly happened. The one who would come into this world to save his people. And this is a little bit of a foreshadowing to Saturday night's sermon, but I think one thing we don't often talk about at Christmas is the cross. We love the view of the innocent baby in the manger. We love this this heart-well-filling story of, of the birth of our Savior. But that baby comes with a purpose. In fact, as he grows older and begins his ministry and preaches, he will go on to be wrongly accused, tried unjustly, and crucified on a cross. This had to take place to fulfill more prophecy. This had to take place because God had promised a redeemer. God promised one who would come into this world and die for our sins. His death on the cross, the blood that he shed, was sufficient for all of the sins of mankind. But it took God to come to us in the flesh to do this, to live among us, to suffer for us, and to die for us. He begins his ministry by taking on the sins of those he ministers to. And Paul will go on to tell us that he became sin that knew no sin. Jesus never committed any sin, yet he became sin so that when God's wrath was poured out upon him, it would be satisfactory and all sin would then be forgiven. God the Son takes it upon himself to go to the cross and to die. This is certainly not easy to talk about the death of Christ as we prepare to celebrate his birth, but this is the reality of the world we live in. It is not only because of this innocent baby who will be born to us, who will grow up and who will die for us, so that we can have assurance of salvation for our sins. This baby had to be born. And he fulfilled all of these intricate prophecies that had been given hundreds of years before. If we take Isaiah's account in Isaiah 7 and 9 and and ongoing, that was written some 700 years before Christ was born. 700 years. This virgin who Isaiah promises to Ahaz would come 700 years after he makes that promise. Mary is the one who carries Christ. She is the one who is favored and blessed. And though Mary, and it is through Mary that God acts and sends his son into this world. 
It is through the virgin womb that Christ is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. This child who was born to us has come to die for us. Thank you for tuning in to another sermon brought to you by Pastor Alex at Stratford Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have enjoyed these sermons and you are interested in helping support our church, you can do so by going to stratfordlutheran.org and clicking on the About Us tab. Then you will see a little link that says Support Our Church. You can click on that. It will bring you to a page called Vanco. And you can sign in and create an account and you can either do a one-time gift or you can set up recurring gifts. It's easy, it's convenient, it's secure. It's what we've been using for the last four years in our church for our online giving platform. So we would ask you to prayerfully consider helping support our church as we continue to provide you godly-centered content in the years to come. Thank you once again for listening and God bless.